It's Sunday morning, and uh, we're talking about something you may think, well, Jim, you've said this before, and by when my, by no means finished with it. Uh, I put fowl of the air, the eagle, that's the king of the birds from one end of the Bible to the other, and I put cattle, ox, and that's the king of the cattle, and then I put the beast of the field, the lion is the king of the beast, and man. Man has been given authority over these. Over these. And that didn't start with the covenant to Noah in the ninth chapter of Genesis. That started in the second chapter of Genesis, if you want to turn over there, in verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. I need, he needs a woman with him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam and to see what he would call them. We don't know what language they spoke, when he named a lion a lion, he named it a lion in another language, however he pronounced it. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now this is showing God's covenant of man over the beast. These have to do with God's covenant. Now, we know that when you get over here to Genesis 9, God says he's going to form his covenant with the fowl of the air, the cattle, the beast, and man. He tells them that. So everywhere you find these things, you're going to find the, uh, you're going to find the covenant of God. So here he's naming all of them and brings them to him. And Adam gave the names of the cattle and of the fowl of the air to every beast of the field. There's the cattle, the ox, the fowl of the air, the eagle, and the beast, the lion. Now, go back over here to Genesis 9. When Noah comes out of the ark, God says, here is my covenant. I don't believe there's many covenants. I believe there's one covenant. So he says here in the ninth chapter, in verse 9, I will establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and every living creature that is with you of the fowl, which Adam had named, and the cattle and every beast of the earth with you from all that is out of the ark to every beast of the earth. Then when you go over to Ezekiel, the first chapter, you see these, there gets to be an intermingling among the pagans with the, with these beasts, with these animals. And the thing is, people don't know where it all started. There's two things you've got to study along with this. The Sphinx 
and the pyramids. I was looking at last night on the internet. This is what you can do with your internet. I was looking to see how old the Sphinx was and how old the pyramids are. They say that the Sphinx as of 1919 is 4,500 and something like 12 years. Well, if you go back to Jesus, you go back 2,000 years, and therefore that leaves 2,500 B.C. or B.C before the common era, before the Christian era, 2,500 years before Christ, I have figured that the time of Adam, not Adam, but Abraham, was around 2100 B.C. And if you take Abraham's lineage, that'll take you 2,500, will take you right about Noah when he makes this covenant with these right here. And the pyramids were believed to be in that same era. The pyramids, they say, the ancients said, was a type of a flame pointing up to heaven. Flame takes you to fire, and the fire gods were in the ancient world. Fire gods. What about the Sphinx? The Sphinx... I went online and I looked up all these Sphinx. Most of the, the Egyptian Sphinx at Giza in Egypt is considered the head of all this, the Sphinxes, the most major, but you've got hundreds of Sphinx around the world. you got them in Mexico. you got 70 over there with the Giza Sphinx and the pyramids of Giza. They're right there together in a particular line. You've got all of these Sphinx and you can see in the Sphinx, they call this a Sphinx. This is called a Sphinx and you've got all that in here. And if you will notice, this Sphinx has got the body of a lion, the head of a man, well, this is, those are lion's feet. And it's got the head of a man, the wings of an eagle. Right here. And this sphinx has got the body of a bull. Those are hooves. That's the ox, the head of a man. The amazing thing about the sphinx is they say, we can't figure out where it comes from. And they search through all these archaeological digs and go through all the history, but nobody mentions the Bible. Isn't that amazing? They can't figure it out. And I believe I've figured it out. I believe God created it. Men have studied the pyramids and they say, they believe that Shem built the pyramids. That would be right at the time of Noah. It would date back to there. Why don't we go to the scriptures and see if they got something to say about it? Well, you, you go to this, this sphinx here, 
and in here they'll have the sphinx of of the Persians, the wings. It'll all of these have got wings on them. These have wings here. These are the eagle's wings, man, the body of a lion, the body of a lion, the body of a bull, man, the eagle's wings, the eagle's wings, the wings, man, the head of a of a eagle, the eagle's wings, the body of a lion. It's all the same thing. I believe it goes back to God, to God's covenant. That's what I believe it goes back to. It's funny, they'll date it right back to Noah, and then they'll say, we don't know who started them. You think maybe it was God. I'll tell you who told me about this, who came up with the idea. Eric, my son back there, he said, what about the sphinx and the head of the man and the body of the lion? And at times it's got the body of a lion, the body of a bull, the head of man, the wings of the eagle. That looks like God's covenant, doesn't it? Doesn't it to you? And if you start researching, they'll say, we don't know who started and where it came from. I believe it started with God. How did the Assyrians get a hold of it? They took Israel into captivity, 722 B.C. They were ruling. What is amazing, there was a time when Egypt believed Jehovah God when Joseph was ruling in Egypt. And all of Egypt was believing in Jehovah God. It's not like they always believed in the sun and the fire gods and the tree goddesses. I believe it goes back to there. You can find in the Bible, but you've got to believe wherever you find something, it's the same thing. When he says, I establish my covenant with these, over, he says, I'll establish my covenant. Why didn't he establish his covenant with the fish? Huh? They, they weren't being destroyed. They were in the water. Right? They were in the water. They weren't being destroyed. They were swimming around. It's very interesting. I've wrestled with something. I tell you, I wrestle with things. And I've been wrestling with this. Go over to Revelation. I have wrestled with. I look at things analytical. And I look over here in Revelation, the 21st chapter. Verse 1. I'm not going to go through this chapter. It's too much. I'm just going to read the first verse. I saw new heaven and new earth. Whew, that is unbelievable message. You have to see what new heavens. Heavens was the ruling class. You understand that? It's what ruled. Who was ruling in the Old Testament as long as they were obedient to God? Israel. They were the heavens. When you go back to Isaiah 65, I'm not going to spend much time on this because I've got too many places to go. I hope you can learn to think this way. 
since God established his covenant in the ninth chapter of Genesis, then that covenant would apply. Genesis 9, then that covenant would apply when he brought these animals to Adam. You can see he's putting Adam in charge of the animals. He's going to be uh, in charge of things. So he would be man watching over these. I think about this and think and think and think until my brain falls out and then I stuff it back in and keep thinking. It's You have to look at everything. Everything is connected together because it's connected. Now, look here in Isaiah 65. It says there will be no more seed there. Uh-huh. In that verse 1 it says, and there was no more seed. That's what I was going to read if you wait. But you got to look at heavens and look over here in Isaiah 65. I have was puzzled over there being no more sea. And then I got to thinking, in the new heavens there'll be no more sea. There won't be a covenant with the fish because there never was. And fish weren't offered... <laughs> They didn't offer fish as a sacrifice. What did, they didn't put fish in a storehouse. If you put fish in a storehouse, after about two days, what would they be doing? Stinking. You didn't offer fish in a... So when people say, well, the tithe is only animals. What about the fishermen? What do they have to offer? Nothing because they only caught fish? What about the guys that worked in the marketplace? selling tools, do they not have to give a tithe? And that's tied together with what we're talking about this morning. Here in the 65th chapter, verse 17, when you see that in verse 1 of chapter 21, for behold, verse 17, I create new heavens and new earth. That's the very words of Revelation 21 and 1. And I saw new heavens and new earth. For the first heavens, or Israel, was passed away. They were the heavens. The Bible says, If you're obedient to me, Israel, keep my statutes and my commandments there in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, I, you will have your fields will be full, your, you'll have crops galore, your babies will be born healthy, and you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways. But if you're disobedient to me, you won't be the heavens anymore. And they were disobedient by the time you get to Isaiah. So Isaiah says God's going to make new heavens, and he's talking about calling Israel by his name, calling the Gentiles by his name, when you go to 65th chapter, verse 1, I am sought of them that ask not of me. He's talking about the Gentiles. The entire book of Isaiah is talking about God rejecting Israel and calling the Gentiles. Isaiah was prophesying during northern Israel's captivity when they're carried away in 722 B.C. Isaiah prophesied for 50 years 
years. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 712 B.C., that's when he was put to death. So, what he's talking about through his entire book is about the Gentiles coming to the light. He says, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. The word nation and the word Gentile are the exact same word in the Hebrew and the exact same word in the Greek. He says, I'm going to call the Gentiles by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. He's talking about Israel. And then he goes on further in there in verse 5. He said, this is what Israel st says. Stand thou by thyself, come not near me, for I am holier than thou. These are the smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all day long. He's talking about Israel having gone after Baal in the grove and Shemash and Molech and Ashtaroth and all these fire sun and tree goddesses. Then he goes on down here talking about Israel in verse 11. But ye Israel are they that forsake the Lord, that forsake my holy mountain, Zion, that's where all the sacrifices were offered. That's where the temple was. That prepare a table for that troop. The word troop is the word gad. And believe it or not, it means to distribute fortunes. Has the same meaning as demon has the same meaning as demon or daemonion in the Greek, distribute fortunes. That's what it means. has the same meaning. And then he says, and you furnish drink offerings unto that number. Number is the word mene, M-E-N-I-Y. The numberer, God of the ancient world, Mene, was another name for Allah. Allah. And the moon numbered the seasons in Genesis, the first chapter. So this is talking about moon worship. That's what Israel was involved in. When the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. You've got to be very abstract in understanding that. What ruled the darkness in Genesis, the first chapter? The moon worshiper. The moon ruled the darkness, and the moon worshipers in the Mideast he said, against spiritual wickedness in high places, they kept the, the tree goddesses in the high places outside the cities. That's where they were. But the moon worship started at Babel. So when we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places, 
there in Genesis, the sixth chapter, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Not Genesis, Galatians. What am I thinking of? Galatians, the sixth chapter, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're wrestling against the rulers of the darkness of dark. But that doesn't mean men who are out here sneaking around in the dark robbing. Darkness is equated with a lie. And that's always equated with Babylon. And Babylon was the mother of harlots. So who are these moon worshippers in the dark? Well, the scripture says they were founded, that Babylon was founded on let us make us a name. That is the doctrine of the darkness, of the moon worshippers, of the tree goddesses. The tree goddess was always represented as the moon, or the moon represented as the tree upon the earth. They were all called Ashtaroth, A-S-H-T-O-R-O-T-H. With an O, it's singular. With an E, Ashtaroth is plural. And they had many tree goddesses all over the world. It's plural. So, where am I here? Let me look. Let me get back to Isaiah. I didn't mean to go here, but I can't get to the end of the verse of Revelation 1 without showing you new heavens and new earth. The heavens is the church. We are, according to Hebrews, that 12th chapter, we are heavenly Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn. Aren't we? And as heavenly Jerusalem, we're ruling with a scepter of righteousness. We are the rulers of this world. What is that scepter of righteousness? Hebrews 1 and 8. Hebrews 1 and 8, the word scepter, rabdos, means a ruling rod. Our ruling rod is righteousness. That's not the common word for righteousness in the Bible, in the Greek. The common word for righteousness is D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. Dikaiosune is the common word righteousness. It is a comes from the word D-I-K-A-I-O-O, which is the word justify. Can you see how a man is justified by works and not by faith only? Justified doesn't mean saved. We're not saved by works. We're justified. We're pronounced innocent by God working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And we get this word justify and that word righteous from the word D-I-K-E. D-K, which means that's the common Greek word for right. Well, that's the common word righteousness. That's not the word in Hebrews 1 and 8. We have a scepter of righteousness. This is what we rule with. That word righteous is a word that means to rule with. 
And it is not this word right here. We have a scepter of U-T-H-E-T-O-S. That's the word righteous in Hebrews 1 and 8. It's not this. Nearly every time in your concordance you look up righteous, it'll be D-K-O-S-N-A. But it's not this word in Hebrews 1 and 8. Here's what we rule with as the heavens. And in the heavens, there'll be no sea. That's what it says at the end of this verse in Revelation. Uh, everybody thinks this is a new heaven up in the sky. That was talked about in, Hebrew, in Isaiah 65 long before John got to Revelation in 96 A.D. Euthetos comes from you and Tithomai. Tithomai means to level or lay out. You means well or good. When we have a well leveling towards God, that rules people. What do you mean by that? There's a, I used to sell real estate. There was a guy who used to work with me. His name was Bill. And Bill would try to get my goat every time he saw me. He would try to say something that would kind of get me on a defense. But he didn't know I would attack him every time. We were down here at Ace Hardware one day, and he said, we was in the back of the store, he said, hey, Jim, how you doing? You know, I listen to you on radio, and how in the hell do you learn all that stuff? I said, well, Bill, I don't learn it in hell. What I do is I stay up all night long, studying night and day. I just dropped the hell part to him and said, I don't learn it in hell. Here's how I learn it. I just kept talking to him. And sometimes he'd use damn. And what I did, I wait till he got up in front of all the people up there, about to check out and then I started hammering with death to self and daily cross and he was embarrassed because I was doing it in front of everybody and I ruled him with a well leveling to the will of God but I couldn't do that unless I knew what I was talking about you want to know how you rule people know what you I tell the story about I went into a real estate company one time you pick up a key to show a house I went to pick up a key and this old retired sergeant, kind of a know-it-all, I think he was insecure, he come out from the back of the real estate company, and there were three of these plastic women sitting over there waiting for their clientele. You know what I'm talking about? They looked like they were made out of plastic, waiting for to get in their Cadillac and take off and go with their clients. And he comes out, and he wants to show off to them. He said, I feel good. I feel great today. I said, well, you must have Jesus in your heart to feel that good. And he said, blankety, blankety, blank. I said, well, I can tell you don't have Jesus in your heart by what's coming out of the mouth, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, i got to go. It kind of upset him, made him mad. He didn't like me embarrassing in front of these women. That's how you rule with a scepter of righteousness. If you had a, I used to, 
I used to work out with weights when I was young, and I injured myself, got, got real sick, and I tried to come back at 60 years old. I should have been lifting light. I used to be a power lifter when I was young. And uh, I was working out at a gym down here, and everybody knew I was the preacher because I'd just talk to people about the Bible and all. And one guy walked up, and he said, Hey, Jim, is S in the Bible? And you know the word I'm talking about. That's a I said, that's a really good word, Eric. Well, let me tell you about that. I said, Paul talks about it in the Philippians, the third chapter, and he's looking at me like... <laughs> I said, Paul said in the third chapter of Philippians, he said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was really a great honor to be in southern Judah because Benjamin and Judah were southern Israel. And I said, he, he said, uh, and I said, Paul said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. My father was a Pharisee. But he said, I cut all these but dung that I might gain Christ. I said, that's the word you're talking about. I said, give me another one of the words and bring it back to me and I'll tell you about it. That's when you rule with a scepter of righteousness. You cut these people down with the truth. If they say something to embarrass you, they let out a curse word and say, where'd you learn that in Sunday school? Be in charge. When you're in, but you've got to know some of these words. You understand what I'm saying? You can embarrass people. I've told the guys when they get to cussing around you, I'll tell you one of the best things to do. If somebody starts cussing, don't address them. Just start singing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What do you think a guy will do if you start singing that in front of him and you don't address him? He's going to shut his mouth. There's a way to get to people that are challenging you. Tell them the out and out truth. That's how you do it. Then when you get over here, you get back over here to Isaiah. And Isaiah said, God says, look here in verse 15. This is Isaiah 65. Thou shalt... Oh, well, I'm in Ezekiel. Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 15, Isaiah 65. Ye shall leave your name, talking to Israel, for a curse unto my chosen people. And he's talking about the Gentile church. For the Lord God shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. Gentile church, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in God of truth, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten. Israel's worship of tree worship and sun worship is going to be forgotten, and because they are hid from my eyes, for behold, I create new heavens and new earth. There's a new ruling class. And you're going to rule with a scepter of righteousness. That's the church. Learn these words and you'll have a sword to defend yourself with. I create new heavens and new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered nor come to mind. 
but ye but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn. You want to see that? Look over here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. You, you can't take one part of the Bible and separate it from another part. And here's the Jerusalem rejoicing right here. 12th chapter 22 but ye are coming to Mount Zion S-I-O-N unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem to innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly the church the heavenly Jerusalem the church of the firstborn that's the new heavens now, and that's what he says, I create Jerusalem rejoicing and her people a joy. So he says, I'm leaving the old Israel. Then you go over here to Revelation, the 21st chapter, and then you know what heavenly Jerusalem, new heavens and new earth is. He would not say, I create new heavens and new earth in verse 18 of Isaiah 65 without talking about Jerusalem or Israel because the whole part of the chapter before it is talking about rejecting Israel and going to the Gentile church. Now, go back over here to Revelation. Gosh, I got off base here. I'm sorry. I, I can't... It seems like i got to explain everything I'm doing here. Go back to 21st chapter of Revelation. I saw new heaven and new earth. What is when you look up heavens in McClinic and Strong the first thing it will tell you is ruling class governments. That's the first thing. Then it'll go into the heavens above where the birds fly up here the atmosphere and then it'll go into God's heavens. They said there were three heavens. There was the heavens where God is, the heavens above us, and the new heavens is the new governments of Israel. But you can't explain that. That's not talking about God creating a new heaven up where he is. That's not talking about that. And if you go back to Isaiah 65, you'll be able to see that. And if you go into the heavens, the H volume, and you look at the end of the article, several pages through the article, it will say heaven and earth. It will say heavens is the ruling class. The earth is the plebeian people or the ruled. When the Bible says, blessed are the poor in the spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that are meek. If you're meek, you'll when you're blessed of the make, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We, when we're meek, we are inheriting heavens and we're inheriting the earth. There's, we inherit the earth, the Bible says, and the earth is the ruled. But we rule them with a scepter of 
euthodos, righteousness. This is all figures of speech. And you go back to Revelation 21 and 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now, why would God call Israel a New Jerusalem when he says over in the 11th chapter of Revelation, in the 11th chapter, he calls the Jerusalem where Jesus lived and died, he calls it Sodom and Egypt. You go to Revelation 11 and verse 8, their dead bodies, talking about the two witnesses, which is the priest and the king, which is us, shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Why would he be referring to that Jerusalem? The new Jerusalem, notice where it is. The new Jerusalem is coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What's the bride of Christ? The church. That's the new Jerusalem. This is spiritual language. It's not talking about there's a new Jerusalem coming down and it'll hover over the earth. This is spiritual Israel, and I can't keep going in this. i got to get back to my subject. Let's go back over here. We're still talking about this covenant of God. We find those four beasts in Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel, the first chapter. I've, I've had people, I've heard about people wrestling with this. John MacArthur's got one of the weirdest things. He said these, these beasts were the wheel and the wheel. He said it was something up in heaven and it was coming down and it was a picture of heaven. If you've got these four beasts here, you got the four beasts inside the temple. You got the four beasts. Wherever you find them, maybe this will challenge you to do some thinking and inform me on something. But you got the four beasts inside the temple. There seems to be a confusion as to whether these beasts belong to Assyria. I believe the Assyrians since God came up with the idea of the covenant first, it appears that the Assyrians, when they carried Israel into captivity, captured their beasts, which was their covenant, and made gods out of them. That's what Assyria did. That's what they had to have done, because this eagle and this ox and man and the eagle's wings that wasn't their idea. That was God's idea in, in Genesis, the second chapter. And Adam named them. Now, I've already said, I might ought to read it again. Ezekiel is in Babylon. If you're going to study Ezekiel, you've got to study Revelations with Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel is a prophet of God. He's in Israel. There's three deportations for southern Judah. I hate to have to explain this every time I mention it. Southern Judah was comprised of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. All because Solomon allowed his pagan wives, 700 of them, 300 concubines in the 11th chapter of 1 Kings to keep their Ashtaroth, their Shemosh gods, their sun gods, their tree goddesses. And he corrupted Israel with it. So God split the kingdom into northern Israel, which was led by Ephraim. And that was the second born son of Joseph. So anytime you see that Joseph is head of northern Israel, that's the 11th son of Jacob. 11th son, Jacob's name being changed to Israel. And Ephraim received the, the inheritance in Genesis, the 48th chapter. Where Jacob crossed his hands and put his right hand upon the head of Ephraim. And Joseph was leading Manasseh to his left hand. Uh, to his right hand so that Manasseh would get the blessing. Jacob crossed his hand and said, No, second born receives the blessing. So, there are three deportations. One in 605 B.C. One in 597. That's the one that it's believed is that Ezekiel was carried away over into Babylon which is about 650 miles away from Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. So, so you get over here. I wish I could explain everything that I understand about this in one lesson, but I can't. This is, this is, this, see that outline right there? That's Iraq. That's what we call Iraq. Iraq comes from Iraq, comes from Y E A R A C H, Iraq. Iraq was a name for the moon. When you define moon in the scripture, one of the terms is Yarak, Iraq. That is that is the name and when they they in fact Eric, that's our son's name, comes from Yarak. It means ruler. It means ruler. And the moon rule the night. It's another term for mene. Mene, which is that word troop in Isaiah 65, means ruler. That was the term for Allah. Well, 
In fact, Allah comes from the word Alan. Alan is the word tree in Isaiah 44. Well, they took a tree, they made a fire with it, they warmed with it, they cooked with it, and the Bible says they made a god of it. And that was an Ashtaroth or an Asherah, a grove. And it's believed that Ezekiel was carried away to Babylon. He was carried here in Jerusalem. I've told you this over and over again. They had to go north to go to Babylon. That's because this is the Arabian Desert, and you can't cross the Arabian Desert without dying. That'd be thousands of miles going through the heat of the desert. So when when Israel was attacked, it was always said they were attacked from the north. That's the only way you could get in, unless you were coming from Egypt to attack. So when they would be attacked by the Syrians, by the Babylonians, by anyone, the Greeks that have to come over here, come from the north. But the Bible says they came from the east and the north. That's because Babylon was east of Israel, over here on the Euphrates River, but they came in from the north. I'll tell you something really interesting. I'm wandering again. I can't get on one subject without thinking about it. It kind of fits in here, so let me see if I can fit it in. Look over here in Revelation 7. All this is like one big, long, intricate story. Look over here in, in Revelation 7. I was going to get to Revelation 7. I don't know how long it will take me to get to it. To Ezekiel 9, because Ezekiel 9 equals Revelation 7. Look here, though. I got... I don't know how in the world to do all this at once. It's too much. Revelation 7. You have to know... I said from the very first, Revelation 1, in Revelation 1... The Bible says this is the rev the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, as it was given to the Apostle John and that when he gave this revelation, he signified it. You can't ever, talking about revelation, lose the word signify. Signifies the word semiao, S-E-M-E-I-O-O. It's a form of semion, S-E-M-E-I-O-N. Semion means a sign or pointer. It's a pointer. When you see a, a blimp in the sky and it says good year, it doesn't mean there's a good year up in the sky. It means somebody down on the ground sells Goodyear tires. That's what it means. Hadn't seen one in a long time. So that's a pointer. 
when you see there's a firestone store down here it's got firestone right on right on the top of it it don't mean they got a stone on fire inside there it means they sell tires there when you see eat on the highway that means we sell food well he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John so every time John goes up into a vision he's doing the same thing that Ezekiel was doing when Ezekiel would have a vision over here if he's carried away in 597 and these are two peaceful deportations if you're going to study Ezekiel, you got to know that Ezekiel was carried away into the captivity. He said he was a captive there in the first verse of Ezekiel. And he was on this river, Kibar. He was on the, he was one of the captives. See, you can't read the first verse. Now it came to pass in the 13th year, in the 4th month, in the 5th day of the month, as I was among the captives of Israel that was being carried away during a peaceful deportation. I could show the peaceful deportation. I don't have time to go there. By the river of Kibar, that the heavens were open, and I saw a vision of God. God's opening things up and showing him. When you get into Ezekiel... God starts showing him the things that's going on over here. Now, he's going to show him through the entire book what he's going to do to Israel in 586 B.C. That was the total destruction of Israel. You can find that in the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles the 25th chapter of 2 Kings. They have, it's identical. It's two different views of it. The Kings was written from the viewpoint of the Kings. Chronicles was written from the viewpoint of the priests. Now, where was I? I was in the 7th chapter. i got to show you this. You can't even read a part of the Bible without wondering what it's about. Verse 1, chapter 7. After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. They didn't know the earth was round. They thought when you got to the Atlantic Ocean, they didn't know what was out there. They didn't know what was over here other than India. That's where... Alexander the Great would have tried to conquer India, but his soldiers were drugged down, they were wore out, and he lost. And he came back home to Babylon. He liked Babylon because it was a beautiful place. And he came back to Babylon and died there. He had four generals that wanted to fight for his kingdom. And what was I going to say? All right. Now, they said that the earth had four corners and they had four winds the north wind the south wind the east wind the west wind but winds had a dual meaning they called the armies of the earth 
They called them winds. Now here's an amazing thing about winds. They said that whenever Israel and one of the judges of God was famine, they could have famine, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, the beast, or four judgments. That when they had a famine, that could come either with too much rain and wash the crops away. That's what Samuel told them in that 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. You've got to remember when you take this man Saul to be your king, if you go after other gods, God will wash your crops away. And they were going, oh, please don't do that. Or... There'd be no rain, just like the 17th chapter of 1 Kings. No rain. When Elijah come in and says, there'll be no rain for three and a half years, and people are going to die by the thousands. And he said, I'm out of here. So, or they could have locusts come. Locusts were four to five inches long, they came in the hundreds of billions. When Israel saw the locusts coming, they began to weep and cry, No, oh God, how can we get out of this? This is going to destroy all our crops and we're going to starve to death. They didn't have ways like we have of going down to Kroger, going down to Publix, going down to Safeway. I say that for people in another state. They didn't have that. And they said that when the locusts come in, they didn't breed out here in the desert. That winds had to come from the east and blow the locusts into Israel. They came from the east. They didn't come from the sea. So evidently they came from the east and blew the locusts in. When the Bible says that Babylon was... A false teaching system they came from the east and the Bible says God brought an east wind in and carried Israel away into captivity and it referred to to Nebuchadnezzar as a east wind so when you're seeing here these east winds are being held back in this seventh chapter of Revelation. I believe it's talking about the armies. In fact, let me read a couple of these to you. In Ezekiel 13 and 15. Look at Ezekiel 13 and 15. Thirteen and fifteen. I believe that's it. Oh, I got the wrong. I wrote down the wrong. 1315 or 13.5. No, I've written down the wrong thing. I'll have to go back and look it up. Look over here in... Uh, wait a minute. 19 and 12. I'll get one of them in here in a minute. Parable in the house of Israel. 
Look at Ezekiel 12, 14. 12. I will scatter toward every wind all that are about him to help him, talking about Israel's evil, and will draw out a sword after them. If you look up wind, you'll see that the armies were called an east wind, and Babylon is called an east wind. And when you get into understanding that the locusts came from the east, locusts, it was an east wind that brought them in. And when you get to the scorpions, which were the false teachers, and in Ezekiel is told, you dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words. Scorpion, S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S, is the word scorpion. The verb form is scorpizo, S-K-O-R-P-I-Z-O. That's the verb form, and that's the word scatter, and God scattered Israel by an east wind, by Babylon that came in and carried them away. So scorpions are spiritual locusts. All right. Now, I wrote a lot of this down. Look at Isaiah 41 and 16. Isaiah. You're going to find this all through the Old Testament. Isaiah 41. Verse 16. Heart right. 41. 16. It's talking about Israel being carried away. Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry Israel away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And thou shalt rejoice in the Lord and shall glory in the Holy One of Israel. It'll be a wind that comes in and carries Israel away into captivity. Now, in fact, now I'm not going to get into that right now. Let's get back to the four creatures. That takes us back to Ezekiel, the first chapter. I... I I'm trying to explain this where everybody can see it. It's a lot. I believe everything all over the Bible comes together and synthesizes into one picture. You're now going to find the cattle of the field, the ox, which is those. Uh, the, all these were called sphinx. That's what I've learned that the last few days. These are all a sphinx. Sphinx means to squeeze or press into. Has kind of the same meaning as strive to enter in at the straight gate. Yeah, these, these are all called sphinx. Persian sphinx, Egyptian sphinx, Babylonian, Assyrian and Grecian, they call them griffins or sphinx. Eric Coleman said, have you ever thought about the sphinx being the body of a lion, the head of a man? 
and they have eagle's wings on their sides. That is the covenant of God. These had to originate with God. The devil doesn't originate anything. It has to originate in Satan. In fact, when they said, let us make us a name, they were saying, let us make us a ship. And they came up with a virgin mother and a virgin born son among the sun and the tree gods. Satan doesn't come up with anything original. He copies God. I believe this is just a copy of God's covenant here. Now, let's get back over here to Ezekiel, the first chapter. When you're studying Ezekiel, you got to study him in a consecutive manner. He's in Babylon. He's talking about the chariots coming in. I believe they had these. They were called cherubim. I believe they had the cherubim on the side of the chariots, like it shows here. Like right here. I'm looking for the chariots with the cherubim, with the eagle on one side, and with, we got the line here. The Bible says they had straight feet. Straight feet. And wherever the wheels went, went where the spirit went. The spirit was in the was in the man driving the church to come in and crush Israel. If this is the covenant of God, which I believe it is, if that has to do with the covenant, then they had to have some eagles and some bulls on the side of the church too. And they had straight feet. What they're saying, it's not the feet of the lion that's crushing the people. It's these wheels and the wheels right here. And they had scythes on them. That's the, they look like knives protruding out. And that is what cut the people down. What God was doing was keeping his covenant with the people. He said, you won't do what I say. You won't keep sabbatical years. You go after other gods. I'm going to move you over to Babylon until you can learn to behave yourself because you went 70 times 7 in the 70 weeks of Daniel and that was 490 years. You never kept Sabbath and you went after other gods, little G-O-D-S, and when you did this, I'm going to move you into Babylon for 70 years because that's how many sabbatical years you never kept. And by then, I can restore the... When he sent these chariots in, it wasn't to destroy Israel. It was to get them into Babylon so they could learn to behave themselves for 70 years while the land restored its nutrients. That's what it was for. It wasn't to destroy Israel. When he sent the chariots in, it was to refine them. When he sends the things in your life and they feel like chariot wheels running over you, that's for your good. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I don't know how to explain all of this. Well, I believe these are chariots. He said, I see whirlwinds, 
Whirlwinds are described as chariots in Isaiah the 5th chapter and the 28th verse and Jeremiah the 4th chapter and the 13th verse. Whirlwinds are chariots. He saw whirlwinds coming in and they were chariots. And then he says, he describes the chariots. And out of the midst thereof, verse 5, was the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Everyone had four faces and everyone had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. Just like on that. Straight. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. Just like the other. Like the. Like here. Like this. They probably had them intermingled on the chariots. Had some metallurgist, some guy works in metals, to form these things. They would take them and call them their gods, even though they had original covenant position with our God. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man, the face of a lion, on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four had the face of an eagle down in verse 10. I was reading, I, I challenged myself to find things. And I got to thinking, I wonder what Mr. Josephus has to say about this. So I, I got Josephus, historian, out of the first century, and here's what he says about these four beasts. Talking about building the temple and the length, talking about the 20 cubits inside the temple, and two cherubims of solid gold, the height of each was five cubits, and they had each of them two wings stretched out as far as five cubits, Therefore Solomon set them up, not far from each other, that with one wing they might touch the other's southern wall of the secret place. The secret place is the Holy of Holies. So, so they had, here's the temple. He's describing... Huh? Well, I'll draw it bigger. Here's the temple. They had a wall around the temple. Went over here. And Herod built a section out here. Uh, was called the Gentile temple or the women's temple. Of course, women and Gentiles were not permitted in the precincts of this temple. Then you had the, bra the brazen sea, the altar, and you had this divided up into uh, ten 
cubits by 10 cubits, 20 by 10 from here to here. And then you had Solomon's porch right here. I don't know what that looked like. Nobody knows. Let me see here. Let me go over there. Right there. Brazen Sea. The men wash there. The, all these people right here have to be Levites. Nobody could but Levites could be inside this precinct of the temple. That's all. These can't be people from the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Reuben. They couldn't be even of Judah. They have to all be Levites. Levi is the third son of Jacob. Names changed to Israel. And only Levites were allowed in there. And this is the temple. That's Solomon's temple. Because when they were in the wilderness, it had the same dimensions of the temple. And the temple was built after the pattern of the tabernacle. So you had a veil right here. You had an Ark of the Covenant here. And you had a cherubim on each end of the Ark. And Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Josephus said these cherubim's wing would come over here and touch the edge, their wings. The wings back over to the Animals have everything to do with God's covenant. And then he goes on to say, let me just read something here. Uh, here's an interesting thing. Now Solomon set for an artificer out of Tyre whose name was Hiram. You remember over there in the first part of First Kings in the fourth and fifth chapter, he was hiring Hiram which Hiram was one of the kings of Tyre and Sidon, or what we would call Lebanon, which is right above Israel. But listen to what he says about him. I thought, I used to think, why is Solomon dealing with a pagan? According to Mr. Josephus, he wasn't a pagan. Hiram, he was by birth of the tribe of Naphtali. Hiram, the one that he hired... He was, Naphtali was up here just under, right over here next to Tyre. Here's Naphtali. That's one of the sons of Jacob. He was of the tribe of Naphtali. He's up there in the area of Tyre. So let's see, if you get Josephus, you get some interesting articles. Then he says, on the mother's side, for she was of that tribe of Naphtali. I couldn't understand for years why he was employing a pagan king to help build the temple, but he wasn't. He was of the tribe of Naphtali, but his father was of Ur, of Ur. Ur is Chaldean, but listen to what he says. You'll get a lot out of Josephus. Let's go over there. 
Alright, Ur. Ur is a section of Babylon of Chaldeans. But where was it that Shem went to when he came out of the ark? He went down here into this area. When Abraham, there in the 12th chapter of Genesis, God said, Get thee up out of thy country to thy kindred to a place that I will show thee. Abraham went over here, but he left a lot of believers over here in Ur. So he says that Ur, that Hiram, he was Ur of the... He was... His father was Ur of the stock of Israelites. Poor, that is very important. So Hiram that Solomon employed to ship him wood or cedars of Lebanon from what we call Lebanon down here to Israel to build the temple. His mother was of the tribe of Naphtali and his father was one of the Israelites that had migrated down to Ur of the Chaldees. So they were believers, you understand that? But you're not going to know that unless you read somebody like Josephus. And then he goes on, Josephus goes on to say, he says, uh, Solomon had cast a brazen sea, the figure of which was a hemisphere. And then he said, uh, there were four small quadrangular pillars that stood one at each corner. These had the sides of the base fitted to them on each quarter. They were parted in three parts. Every interval had a border fitted to support the laver upon which was engraven in one place a lion, another place a bull, and an eagle. And he tells you all about the lion, the bull, and the eagle, this being the covenant of God. Now, I'm sorry I had to go through all these details. I don't know how else to say this to you. I hope you can understand. Everywhere you find this lion, this eagle, this, this, this bull, and man together as... For you find the covenant of God. Now, when you're studying Ezekiel, you're studying Ezekiel, not in Israel. Ezekiel's in Babylon. He says that they had woven in these, woven in the, you had a cherubim on each end. Their wings touched the edge here. And you had them woven into this veil. I haven't found some extra biblical information on that, but I'm sure there's some. Might find it in Josephus. Now, when you study Ezekiel, he's in Babylon. In the first chapter, he's talking about the chariots coming in. Then you've got to go through this very slow. When you get to the 
eighth chapter. We'll get to that second chapter. In the second chapter, I believe one of the most important verses in the chapter is when he tells Ezekiel, Son of man, don't be afraid of these people or their words. These are scorpions. Be not afraid of their words. They're false teachers. That's very important in that sixth verse uh, of the second chapter. Then you get to the eighth chapter, and all through here he's going to tell you why God's scattering Israel. You know that people don't even know Israel was carried into captivity. They know they were in bondage for 400 years. Most people don't know they were in captivity from what Ezekiel is describing that took place in Old Testament. He's describing them being carried away, but he's telling you why. He says why over there in the 8th chapter. He actually says why all through the book. But the 8th chapter is very interesting because that's the first sunrise service when they're offering, when they're weeping for Tammuz in verse 14. And I've gone through that with you when I'm teaching on Easter or Mardi Gras or Christmas. I don't know how to even say that without taking about 40 minutes, so I'm not going to talk about it, okay? I'll just read that. The women sat weeping for Tammuz. For 40 days they weep for Tammuz. And the Roman Catholics took that and brought that into the Catholic Church and called it Lent. And there were 25 men. Here's what's happening. Ezekiel is in Babylon. God is showing Ezekiel in a vision what's going on in Israel at this time. God is saying this is why in 586 B.C., I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar in to level Jerusalem, to burn it to the ground, plow it up. Nothing will live there. I'm going to bring Israel over here to Babylon and leave them there for 70 years. And then if they don't come back, I'll measure that 70 weeks out to them over a period of time. And I can't go into the 70 weeks now. How much time do I have, Mike? 14. Huh? 14. I can't hear you. 14. 14. <laughs> There's 25 men with their backs. The temple faces east. They're standing somewhere between the altar and the porch of Solomon, 25 of them right here, facing the east, worshiping the sun, having a sunrise service 600 years before Jesus is even born. This is not... They're worshiping the sun. In that, and what God is saying to Ezekiel, this is why I'm carrying them away. And read that 16th verse of the 8th chapter. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. This is the Lord's house right there. The inner court is this wall surrounding the temple. 
only the Levites could come in there. That's what that was showing on that picture a while ago. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and they were facing faces toward the east, and they worshiped the sun towards the east. That's the first Easter sunrise service. And you see these same men, and God's condemning them over in the 11th chapter. He condemns them right here. 11th chapter, verse 1. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the east gate of the Lord's house. I thought you said he was in Babylon. He is. This is the Spirit of the Lord letting him see what's going on over here. And the east gate of the Lord's house, which looketh eastward, and behold, at the door of the gate, five and twenty men, same twenty-five men, having the Easter sunrise service, five and twenty men, among whom I saw Jehazmiah, the son of Azur, and Pelatuiah, the son of Beniah, the princes of the people, then said he unto me, Son of man, these are the men that devise mischief, worshiping the sun, and give wicked counsel unto this city, which say, It is near, let us build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we are the flesh of it. We're going to live here. And Ezekiel says, You're not. Therefore the prophecy against them prophesied, O son of man, and the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. Do you think this is a different spirit than the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? The truth. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, Speak, thus saith the Lord, thus have you said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, and every one of them ye have multiplied your slain in the city, and ye have filled the streets thereof with the slain. You did it because I told you I was going to do this to you if you went after other gods, and they did. Now, Gosh, you can take any one of these chapters and read, and he's telling you why he's destroying Israel. Ezekiel is the prophet in Babylon telling you what's going to happen. Now back up to the ninth chapter. I can't even get started on this. This chapter equals the seventh chapter of Revelation. Verse 1, he cried, I may, I'll start this and we'll go further next week. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate. Now these have to be spiritual men because he's talking about them going through the city and killing everybody that doesn't have God's mark on their forehead. Six men came from the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man had a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them 
was clothed with linen. White linen is what the high priest wore. Perhaps this is Christ, the true high priest, forever after the order of Melchizedek, was clothed with a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. Stood beside this. He's picked up Ezekiel out of Babylon. Let him view what Israel is doing. Boy, this ought to be convicting to us. I wonder if God has brought an angel down to look at America at what they're doing and saying, I'm going to destroy this nation, but I'm going to mark those that belong to me. Look at the next two verses. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub. God's glory is Christ. The scripture says in Psalms, the 19th chapter, the heavens declare out of the glory of God. Look at Psalms, the 19th chapter. I preached on the gospel in the stars, a whole series on that. And this was one of the important verses. The 19th chapter of Psalms. 19th Psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork day unto day, uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That's talking about the stars. And the glory of God, according to the first chapter of Hebrews, Christ is the glory of God. I'm not going to go there. I want to go back over here to the ninth chapter of Ezekiel. The glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub. Christ is always... Who was it that set upon the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God. He came down out of the glory cloud and sat down upon the Ark of the Covenant and ruled Israel from there. This inner sanctuary is called the house of God. And the scripture says over there in Hebrews 3 and 6, Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? We're God's house. He sprinkles our hearts with the blood of Christ they sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant, the blood of a goat, on the tenth day of the seventh month, which was the Day of Atonement. Then he says, and he, So the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub. I believe that is Christ, since Christ was the I Am God of the Old Testament. He said, Before Abraham was, I Am. And that's the I am God of Old Testament. So Christ comes up off the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know whether he's talking about our hearts at this time or what. Then he says, Whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. The threshold is the entering in from Solomon's porch into the house of God. And he called to the man clothed with linen, 
which had ridden rider's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, The Lord is the one that was sitting on the Ark of the Covenant. He came up from the throne. And he's going to give this man instructions. Go through the midst of the city. He's talking about before Nebuchadnezzar comes. This is what's going to come. Before judgment comes, Nebuchadnezzar's on the way. Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads. The word mark is the word tall, T-A-U. It means a signature. When you mark somebody, it has the same meaning. When you find the seals in Revelation, seal, sphragis, sphragis, or the verb is sphragizo, S-P-H-R-A-G-I-Z-O. It means a signature to show authority or ownership. He says, you mark the ones, but notice who he says mark. Notice who he says mark. Mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for the abominations that are done in the middle of Israel. Those that are repentant those that are sad because Israel's going to go into captivity, those that are weary and worn, and they're grieved and they're full of sorrow, the ones that are repentant for what Israel's doing, mark them. They're the ones I'm going to save. And to the others, he said, in my hearing, go ye after him through the city, and smite. Nakah, N-A-K-A-H. Kill. Kill the people that I do not mark. There'll be few. That'll be the poor, according to the... At second deportation in the 24th chapter of 2nd Kings the Bible says that when when the armies of Pharaoh came in or when they deported those people into the peaceful deportation only the poor were left and to the others he said in mine hearing go and smite them let not your eyes spare, neither have pity on them. They had no pity for my name. This is God planning the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem. It's his plan. People say God wouldn't hurt anybody. He said, therefore, I, he said, I will strike you down because of your sin. Micah 6.13 and let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. 
slay utterly old and young, both maids, little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is my seal. We're sealed in Ephesians, that first chapter. The Bible says we are sealed. We have the signature of God. This is a spiritual mark on our hearts. He writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts. Who is this for? It's for God's protection. It doesn't mean he's going to protect us physically. He'll protect us spiritually. Look, I'll come back to this this next week, but look over in Revelation, the seventh chapter. This is talking about the end of time and marking God's people. Revelation, the seventh chapter. This takes a long time to explain these things because these are signs and pointers that point to the real thing. I'm just about out of time. I'll just kind of introduce you to this. After these things, I saw four angels, four messengers. I believe it's the same four as these four of the covenant. The lion, the eagle, the bull, and man. And holding the four winds of the earth. What's following here is the destruction. Hold the four winds. Hold these winds, which are the great armies of the earth, until I have my people marked. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal, the sphragis, the signature of the living God. All the kings had a seal. They had a ring. They had a seal. The king's seal. If you could get hold of the king's seal and stamp anything, that was official. They had a seal. And they would stamp a piece of clay or a hot wax and close a scroll and seal it and it was against the law to break that seal. And only Christ is worthy to open these seals in that the very end of the fourth chapter and the beginning verses of the fifth chapter. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. This is just prior to the great destruction of the end. Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed Sphragis. Same word over there as Tau in the ninth chapter in the Greek and in the Hebrew. Till they seal the servants of God in their foreheads. What is he talking about? In their foreheads and the palms of their hands that takes you back over to I don't have any. I got to come back to this next week. I'm out of time, ain't I, Mike? I got to go to the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy to understand the seal in the forehead and in the hand. And it's not a computer chip. That is so outdated. 
these preachers that say it's a computer chip. That's an that's idiocy. We got DNA now. That's something way advanced beyond computer chips. Not what it's talking about. And whose benefit is this for? It's for God's benefit to know who his people are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help me to explain this, Lord. I have to go one step at a time. It's so intricate and detailed. Fight our battles, Lord. We've got a lot of enemies that want to stop what we're doing. Lord, you stop them. I can't. I'm not going to fight anybody. They throw stones. You have bidden them to throw stones. Protect us with your signature, with your mark. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I hope this wasn't too confusing. It's a lot of information. Got to straighten out those winds. What are you, are you there? <laughs> How you doing? I'm all right now. We you? I'm doing okay. I hope that wasn't confusing. No, no, you you prayed everything down very succinctly. I hope. Yes. Succinctly. The four corners of the world. You know, I never connected that that they thought it was flat into the four. Well, that's what they thought. Yeah. yeah. And they considered every army was a wind. See, like, I kind of made that connection of the east, south, the north, east, south, west, but not the corners. Well, he said, hold the winds until we've sealed the servants of God. Yeah. What he said is, hold the armies. In other words, until the last one comes in. Like when we come in the potluck, is it going to be like, because I know, because you live, in, you live at the, like you live at the house, so mm -hmm. you usually come in the potluck, is it going to be there or is it You said the what? The, the potluck, yeah. What is it? No, um, that's when we usually come, uh, that, that's when we come here for the house and uh, like usually on Friday. Okay. Um, well, yeah, that's what it's called. I, you know what, I, I don't know where I was the other day, but I'm always like, like working and, and it's like, I be in a big truck, so sometimes I can't just stop, you know, anywhere, you know, but come on, I gotta make a special trip to get it. I'm, I'm gonna do my best to get it. I'll be like, man, I gotta get this. Picture. No, I, I thought it was at home. 
No, I gotta stop by DPS. Oh. That's why I was asking, like, why your, your parents can't get you to stop by DPS, go in there and say, I need to see the airport. We're talking. Half out. Half out. What's going on, bro? I forgot your Kool-Aid home. Okay. No, I'm just playing. I'm not playing. I'm just playing. Hug, man. Yeah, I'm making excuses. Yeah, so. excuse. I like the hair. You hear him making excuses? <laughs> you better go do what you said. You're, 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 you're what you said? Yeah, uh, yeah, so I'm going to get it, man. I, I, I just, when I pass by the places, I, sometimes I can stop, sometimes I can't. So, if you get late to get to the location that you need to know, like, you know, like, I've done some, like, payments? Not in my company, but just good to be on time, you know, because a lot of times, if you if you late a lot, it, it won't, it, it'll affect me, but it'll affect the company more than it affect me. And I need business from the company, so I want to get on time so, I, so we can keep getting business. Business, you know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah. I think you, you would like it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so laid back. That's right, that's how I kind of like it. Yeah. Like, it's just laid back. And just, you know, you just yeah. Yeah, it might be a little hard when you try to... Sometimes, but, but once you get 